It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Mama told me, son, go and play in the yard. Papa said, go and play. You gotta break your stomach. Gonna scream real hard. Go play in the yard. Go play in the yard. You gotta burn your stomach. And welcome to it. This is Inside the Yard. A couple of Orioles broadcasters talking about the Orioles. Brett Hollander and Jeff Arnold. Big show coming up. We'll talk to fellow broadcaster, Kevin Brown, also new Orioles third base coach and infield coach, Tony Mancellino, will join us on the program. But, Jeff, we start with a tough weekend against the Red Sox, kind of highlighting two important things right now, and that's the lack of length from the starting pitching and then maybe some overuse already in the bullpen. Well, the two are very connected, so you can understand why a big point of emphasis is going to be starting pitchers being able to work deeper into games. So far, we've seen John Means throw seven innings and put together an incredible start on opening day. And then we've seen Bruce Zimmerman twice put together quality starts. Now the starters have often been uh, pretty good and you take Sunday's outing out of it a little bit. Uh, they've been pretty good at keeping the Orioles in games, even if they haven't gone that deep. Uh, but the problem is that the bullpen is, is getting overworked. And at times it's, it's been a challenge, especially after you have a, a day where Maybe you use all your high leverage relievers and then you have to, you know, go back into the into a closer game the next day. And it becomes a little bit of, all right, how are we going to how are we going to navigate this? What exactly are we going to do? So it's a situation that certainly needs to improve. I think as the season goes on, hopefully it will. Uh, but we, we you definitely need to see as the starters more consistently getting into the fifth and sixth inning just to make sure that uh, you, you're not consistently using four or five different bullpen arms a night because you'll just wear them out. Yeah, even with 14 pitchers on your staff and 26-man rosters compared to 25 forever and ever, it is still one of those things where you can overexpose your bullpen, especially early in the year, and you want to get the most out of that group, and the best way to do that is to get some length from your starting pitching. We'll get into that coming up a little later with Kevin Brown. But right now, coming up, we're going to talk to new Orioles third base coach, Tony Mancellino. And before we do that, Brett, we should tell you that Hey Birdland, Orioles 2021 single game tickets. They're on sale now for April and May. Individual tickets start as low as $15. Purchase your single game tickets and choose from popular promo dates, including the Memorial Day beach towel and more. Brett, you need to get one of those. Don't wait to purchase last minute at the box office. Ticket prices are the same at Orioles.com slash tickets. All right, here inside the yard, new Orioles third base coach and new Orioles infield instructor Tony Mancellino is with us on the program. And first of all, Tony, welcome to town and thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, I really appreciate it. You know, joining this organization has been awesome and excited to be here today. What takes up more of your time in your preparation? Is it working with infielders or being a third base coach and analyzing outfield arms and different situations there? Or what keeps you up at night more? Yeah, that's probably that's a two pronged question. I, you know, I would probably say that 
the actual physical labor, no doubt, or the actual time is working with the infielders. I guess I view kind of working with the infielders the same way hitting coaches view working with hitters. You know, you know, for a long time in the game, you see hitters go into a cage and they have very, very slow, methodic routines that they do in the cages. They have drills that reinforce the fundamentals of their swings. In the perfect world, for me, I have unlimited time on the field where our infielders have that same vibe they get in the cage where they can walk out, they can take their time on the field, go through their individual routines on defense, and then go through you know their normal fast pace, full ground ball sessions, and then they're done. You know, I, I think when you when you're in spring training, you're able to execute that because there's so many fields available. When you get to a big league stadium, there's one field. So you don't necessarily have free reign of that. So that's labor intensive. I'd say the mental part is much more geared towards or the mental stress is coaching third. I mean, there's things that you think about four or five days later, unfortunately, man, it just, it stays with you. So I probably spend more time mentally, you know, with the third base stuff and more time physically with the infielders. What is the toughest thing about being a third base coach besides knowing the arms of the different outfitters? What, what makes it such a difficult job and a thankless job? Oh man. I, you know, it's funny. I, 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 I got some good advice from my dad who, who probably coached third in the big leagues for 10 years, obviously before last year, for I did in Cleveland and it kind of stuck with me and, told me, he goes, you know, speaking of thankless, he goes, you know, whenever they cheer, you know, whenever you hear a roar, a cheer, he goes, they're always cheering for the player. He goes, whenever you hear a boo, he goes, they are 100% booing you. So it is thankless in some ways. But I think to answer your question, it is the situational part of the game. You treat coaching third when you're down four, five, six runs very different than when it's a tie game. You know, you have to make decisions based on the situation of the game. I think people that probably haven't sat in that seat before probably don't fully grasp that concept that, you know, you, you have to be less aggressive in certain situations and just try to navigate that, you know, the, the situation of the game, who's coming up in the lineup, who they have in the bullpen, where you can be aggressive, where you can't, you know, it's definitely something you got to kind of fill out and, and, you know, go through. Tony, obviously the situation is everything, but before the season starts, do you talk to your manager in this case, Brandon Hyde and say, we want to be, an aggressive team, we want to be a conservative team, or we just want to let the situation dictate it. Is that a conversation that you guys have? Yeah, I think it's something we're constantly discussing, to be honest with you. You know, and I would say we probably, we're probably more geared towards the situation. You know, we do believe in our offensive players. I think whenever you're trying to win a game from the third base coaching box, it's not going to go well. We have to allow our players to win the game, allow our offense. We like our lineup. We have some really good hitters throughout our lineup. So, you know, we let the situation kind of dictate what we're going to do. And most of the guys that I've been around that have done this a long time, they'll tell you that's probably the right approach to it. You're working with Brandon Hyde now, but you had an opportunity to work alongside of Tito Francona in Cleveland, and there are a lot of really good coaches on that staff. What is something that, that Tito taught you that helped better prepare you for what you're doing now? Well, last year was actually pretty unique, Jeff. I'd been around Tito in the past and spring training is plenty. Obviously, when you manage a AAA team, you have a lot of interaction with the major league manager. But when I went up there to fill that role, obviously he was gone in six. So it was, it was under Sandy Almar Jr. and Mike Sarbaugh that I kind of learned under. I had coached some third and some spring training games when Tito was managing. And, and I would probably I would probably say the biggest thing I learned was always look in. I think there's sometimes when you're down there at third base, you make assumptions on what the manager might or might not want to do. And that's the absolute wrong way to go about it. So, you know, even in a situation where it's a 10 run game and it's late and you feel like you might not be swinging 3-0 in that situation and you make an assumption that it's going to be a take, look in anyways. 
you know, you have to let the manager manage the game how he wants and how he sees fit because there's so many different ways to skin a cat in every different situation. So, you know, from the Indians, from Tito, from Sandy, just make sure you're a proxy for the manager. Transitioning maybe to some of your work with the defenders on the infield. Rio Ruiz, the call was made at the very end of spring training that that he was going to start working at second base. What is that like from somebody like you who works with the infielders when you're hearing about, hey, we're going to move this guy from third base to get a lot of work at second base, and uh, we don't have a whole lot of time to, to make it happen? Well, you know, I think one of the good things of, you know, you go down and work in the minor leagues. I spent 10 years there. I've been through that situation before. You know, where you're in midseason and they want a kid to go play a different position two days later. So I felt ready and prepared for it. You know, for us, it was Rio. It, it starts with Rio believing in himself that he can do it. And he did. You know, he's very when he was told he was going to do it. It was and we didn't expect anything less from him, but it was an, more of an excitement than a concern for him. And he was anxious to get out there and work at it. He did. We had two days, two days of work and played about eight innings in spring training games. Rio has been unbelievable in these games so far. He made the mistake, I think, in that that game a couple of days ago, his boss and ball ate him up. Probably a one-handed play where he needs to run through and catch with one hand instead of set up on it. But he's also working out of the shift. And whenever you're in a shift, there's another player next to you, and it just gets strange, and you have to get used to working in that. But other than that, he's played not only clean baseball, but he's played baseball where he's made plays. He's made some really good plays, diving plays, pop-up plays, turned some tough double plays. That ball he turned – we were in the right-handed shift. Galvis went to his right, kind of slid on the backhand, popped up, fed it to him. That ball was at his knees, and he got that thing turned over quick. It was really impressive. So I think the most important thing is you have a player that can do it, and Rio can, and he's wanted to do it, and he's got incredible baseball feel, baseball athleticism to do it. So it's exciting when you know you have the, the skills and the, and the athleticism and a guy that can do it. For you as a coach, Tony, how much are you – engaging with players after a mistake, whether it be mental or physical. I mean, in our broadcast, Jeff and I are good for three or four mistakes, at least an inning. So people are going to make mistakes. It happens. Is that something you let go after the game, maybe come back the next day? How do you handle that? It's player to player. You know, I think when a player is young and they're coming through our minor league system, and I felt this way in Cleveland, as an organization, and I think we're doing it right now, talking to Matt Blood and some of the guys down there, they're doing a heck of a job. But as an organization, it's important when they're young and we get them to kind of desensitize them to feedback, to immediate feedback. So as they come up, they're used to it. When they get there, it would be, or when they get to the big leagues, it would be nice to have the option of immediate feedback for things that we do need to correct in a minute. And then also the option to wait to the next day. And I think that's knowing the players and the, and the personnel and having a feel for performance coaching, you know, I, I certainly think there's there's a couple of different types of coaching. I think there's development coaching. And then I think there's performance coaching. I think performance coaching is, is exactly that. You're coaching for the player to perform. There's times where if you walk up to a player after a mistake in a game, and if you correct it, it might cause maybe a lack in performance because too many thoughts going forward. And you have to use your, your coaching timing and possibly approach that player the next day in order to correct it. And there are times, too, where it would be nice if if it's an easy fix, you could go up to a player immediately and help him fix that because it might pop up the next inning and we want to make sure we get it right. So with our players, I mean, it just depends on each guy. But I think as important as anything is is our development guys doing exactly what they're doing right now and continuing the, the process of kind of desensitizing guys to immediate feedback. In terms of working with younger players, I mean, you probably handle some things a little bit differently than, say, you would 
when you were working with somebody like a Freddie Galvis, who has been around the game for a really long period of time. As somebody who works with the infielders, how do you go about working with somebody like Galvis, who's been in the big leagues for a long time? A lot of respect. Freddie's been there now. He's played a thousand games in the major leagues. I think as much as anything, I need Freddie can be my assistant infield coach in some ways. I have no problem. If, if there's something with Freddie, I'll approach him with it. You know, if there's, if he needs help somewhere and the timing's right, I have no problem mentioning it to Freddie. And I think, I think I can because Freddie and I probably see eye to eye on a lot of stuff. And I think Freddie knows that I'm going to be in the trenches with him throughout the year. So just with Freddie, he's been there. He's done that. It's, it's a lot of with all these guys, whether they've been there and done or not, the right way to go about it is to ask them what they need and what they want. And then work off of that. Players know themselves incredibly well. They know themselves better than we think. There's a reason why they've gotten to the point that they've gotten to with their mechanics and everything else that they're doing. So we have to do the best we can to understand their history and where they're at. So with a guy like Freddie, you know, it, there's just so much trust when he walks in the door just because of his track record. But ask him for help. Ask him to help me with other guys. And when he needs help himself, we'll certainly be there and ready to help him out. Tony, this is kind of a broader baseball question, but I love watching defense in baseball, particularly infield defense. And there was a while, I think, in the uh, start of the web gem era where the focus was on outfield diving catches. To me, I would take this is my personal bias an infield diving stop over an outfield diving catch any day of the week. But I do want to see more balls hit and play. And I do want to see these great athletes, because they are great athletes, make these wonderful plays. Are you in favor of not only getting more balls in play, but perhaps even uh, limiting the shift in a way that would create more of those incredible plays? It's a tricky question. Yeah, I, I, you know, the first part, more balls in play, I think everybody is. The three true outcomes of the strikeout, the walk, and the home run, I, that's not my favorite style of baseball. And I, as you watch some of the rules being put into play through the commissioner's office and everything, I think they're doing things to add to the three true outcomes, add more contact, add more more balls in play. And I think we're all very, very, very in favor of that. In terms of the shift question, I don't know where I stand on that quite yet, you know, because part of me, the development guy in me says, if you're a left-handed hitter and you're getting shift, it's very easy to solve that equation. You put down some bunts, you learn how to bunt. And if once you learn how to bunt, now the third baseman has to play down and honor the bunt. And that opens up shortstop. And the ability to hit the ball in the shortstop area for a left-handed hitter is a lot easier than, the, than needing to hit the ball in the third base area for the left-handed hitter. We see right-handed hitters hit the ball in the second base area over and over and over because their whole lives, they are trained to move runners over, and that's how they do it. So if, if a righty can hit the ball to the opposite middle infield area, why can't a lefty? So if you combine the ability to put down a bunt with the ability to hit a ground ball to the off middle infielder, it really opens up the door for traditional positioning for you as a hitter. So yes, you know, we could limit shifts to create more action, but I do think the players are in control of that themselves if they so choose to. Tony, last one for me. With the shift still there, is range for an infielder as big of a deal as it used to be? Because, you know, you, you take a look at some of these different guys and when you're playing with three men between second and third, three men between first and second, it, it eliminates some of maybe the need to have, I mean, you'd obviously like to have an infielder that can cover a lot of ground, but at the same time, you realize that maybe just better positioning can eliminate some of those problems. Is, is range, you think, something that isn't as important as it used to be? You know, I, I think the, the narrative 
in the industry is that it's not, I would highly disagree. I'd take a look back at all the teams that have been winning in the playoffs and in the World Series and take a look at the range they have in their infield. I think to over the course of 162 games, to have a little less range in the infield in favor of having a little more offense, I think that works, right? Over 162. I think when you get in a in a short series where every play matters, I think having range and defense in the infield is incredibly important. I think we've all sat in there in playoff games at any level. And as soon as a runner gets on first base, it's like the air goes out of the room, goes out of the stadium, just a runner on first base. You know, if you have an infielder that has an extra step and he's able to catch a ball that might get through, I think, I think it changes those games. I think it helps you win in a short series. Tony, it's now time for our fun five baseball questions. Are you ready? Sure. All right. Favorite baseball movie? Got to be Major League, right? I mean, I come from that place too. So it's definitely a, uh, I like to laugh. So yeah, Major League. High school, senior year, batting average? It was high. That was high. It's up in the fours, I think. I'm very proud of that. So somewhere up there. Most influential baseball person in your life? Oh, it's got to be my dad. I got a dad that coached in the big leagues for 13, 14, 15 years. So that's an easy one. Favorite minor league city to play, to visit, to coach in? Man, this one might shock you. And, and only because I, I played there and I managed there. But old Lynchburg, Virginia, there's great people in that town. It's that stadium there. It's not one of these new, beautiful minor league stadiums that are built. This thing is like what minor league baseball should be. There's a guy there that runs it named Chris Jones, who's a phenomenal GM. He treats everybody so well. The fans there. Man, they love baseball. It's, there's not many of them in that in that stadium most nights, but they love it. So somehow it's Lynchburg for me. It's weird. And name one talent you have outside of baseball. One talent outside of baseball? Man, I'm really good at doing yard work when I'm home. It's, it's, an, it's a hobby. I love it. I love gardening. I love yard work. I love working outside. And I think my life, wife probably loves it too because she doesn't have to do it. Tony Mancellino, great stuff. We'd love to have you, on, have you on again. Thank you. Yeah, anytime, guys. I appreciate it. The Orioles! Everybody love the Orioles! Hey! The Orioles! The all-new 2021 five-game flex plan is now available. Select the games that fit your schedule, including access to popular promo dates like the Orioles Beach Towel. Plans start at just $99.00. Visit Orioles.com slash flex to purchase your plan. And joining us right now for our insider segment, Orioles play-by-play broadcaster for radio and television, the one and only Kevin Brown. KB, how are you? I'm fantastic, guys. It's great to be an insider for another year. Well, let's start with your early impressions, just about a week and a half in. What do you like? What are you concerned with, with this Orioles team? Let's start with the good news. I like John Means. John Means looks legit. I mean, there was a question of would the end of 2020 carry over into 2021? You never know how that's going to play out with a full off season when somebody's momentum just gets suddenly halted. He was so dominant at the end of last year. And then poof, just as he's starting to figure it out, the season comes to an end. He's been great. He wasn't quite as sharp in the second start as he was in the first, but still got through and pitched pretty well against one of the best lineups in the game of the Yankees. And that first game against the Red Sox, Unless we forget, it was only about a week and a half ago still. And he was as good as I've ever seen him in three years here. Uh, I think the starting pitching has been more good than bad. I mean, Jorge Lopez has, has struggled, and 
We're taping this before the second Dean Kramer start. I'm very curious to see what happens. But Bruce Zimmerman, I think, has been terrific. Throws strikes. Looks like he's been in the bigs for five, six years. And Matt Harvey has, I think, been undone by some some defensive plays behind him that if you flip those has put in a couple of really good starts. So I feel positively about that. And then concerns, strikeouts are in vogue and they have been for a long time, but this team still swings and misses a lot. I like that Ryan Mountcastle is not chasing. His chase rate is actually a little bit down from last year, which is good. He's just swinging and missing at a lot of strikes. And that's obviously something that will need to change. By and large, I think the offense is going to get better. I think they will Swing and miss less. I think they'll look better once Austin Hayes comes back soon and Anthony Santander will figure it out soon. But it's still concerning when you're on pace to set, you know, an all-time strikeout rate number. I'm sure that will go down, but it has to be a concern at this point. What's been your takeaway from what you've seen out of Trey Mancini uh, since he returned? I, I think, honestly, it's what Brandon Hyde's been saying and what Trey's been saying. He, he looked like he was pressing for a while, and the last couple of games he looks like he's figuring it out more. I mean... Only the one hit last time out, but he hit them hard a couple of times. His batting average on balls in place pretty low. It was pretty high two years ago. I think that will even out. He just looks more comfortable the last two days. I mean, how could he not be pressing? Missed an entire year. <laughs> I'm sure he wants to get back and hit all the home runs that he missed in 2020. But I think the last couple of games, guys, he looks really good. And you know, I, I'm struck as I as I've been reviewing my notes on Trey and looking back into past years, 2019, he was consistent the whole way. I mean, he had three hits in the opener and I don't think his slugging percentage ever for a second dipped below 500. Like even when he would go on a a bit of a slump, it would be four or five days and then he get two hits. So to, to have that level of consistency, again, I think is going to be hard. But I'm encouraged by that because I think he's a guy that once he figures out his swing, he doesn't get off track for long. So once Trey settles in, which he will, I think he'll settle in for pretty much the duration of the season. And it won't be you know a lot of four for 25 stretches in there. It might be an 0 for 12, and then he gets two hits the next day. That's the kind of guy he was in 2019. Really the kind of guy he was ever since the All-Star game in 2018. and. Yeah, I, I think now that he's hit a couple of home runs, now that he's gotten all the milestones out of the way, first game, first major, uh, regular season game, first home game, first home run, I, a weight's got to be off his shoulders. When you look at Cedric Mullins, I think fans, just broad picture, they know they've drafted a lot of outfielders over the last few years. In the group, you've seen Ryan Mountcastle kind of come up and establish himself and left. Santander, obviously, the most valuable Oriole a year ago, Hayes when he's healthy. And it's easy to forget about Mullins, but just the arc of it, we all saw what happened in the beginning of 19 and then even sent down the beginning of last season to come up and to do what he's doing both offensively and defensively. I I said this the other night that I almost feel hitting right-handed was a burden that's now off of his back. Uh, What's your takeaway big picture about Cedric Mullins? My first year with the team was was 2019, so I started calling games, you know, right at the beginning of of the Cedric Mullins experience that year. And obviously, he'd come up in 18 and and kind of wowed some people. He had a game with like a crazy fast triple. One of my first games. It might have been honestly my my first game in 2019. As I think about it, it was a big one over Oakland. I think that was the game where he had a big triple. And then. None of his at-bats even looked competitive. 
I mean, that's the thing that stuck out to me that year was he looked pretty helpless. He looked like he just didn't, he didn't know what to do. He didn't have a plan and he just looked like a guy who was flailing up there. So the numbers are, are obviously incredible, but I just look at him and, and his approach. He, he is competitive in every at bat right now, even the outs. Even the strikeouts. I mean, Brandon Hyde's mentioned the Aroldis Chapman at bat a couple of times where Cedric struck out, but he fouled a couple of pitches off two years ago. Like, if he makes it to pitch three against Aroldis Chapman, it's only because he swung and missed at the first two and just guessed. He's not guessing right now. It is an interesting point you make, Brett, because I, I, I think about what it takes to be a major league hitter. And we, we can really only, and those of us who are not major league hitters can only scratch the surface of imagining what the work rate is like and what the day-to-day work in the cages is like. And to be a switch hitter, now you've put in tw- essentially twice the amount of work. I think you may be onto something. It, he just looks as, as comfortable as ever. And to eliminate a part of the plate where I'm sure he worked twice as hard because it was not natural to him, it just feels like a, a huge, huge positive. KB, last one for me. You and I saw Cesar Valdez walk the tightrope one game in Boston, and then he had an outing in New York where the Yankees uh, were able to find a way to get back in it. He ended up picking up the win, and then on Saturday night against the Red Sox, uh, blew a save. Is there any concern for you with, with Cesar Valdez at all at the end of games? Sure, but there's con- concern with me for most teams at the end of game. I mean, here's the thing. Cesar Valdez's story is outrageous. I believe that even at this age, even flinging changeup after changeup, I think he'll still be an effective pitcher all year. I really do. It's that knuckleball type feel. It's a weird pitch. He throws it from a weird arm angle. He is going to blow some saves. I mean, <laughs> that is going to happen, right? It, it is, it, it's, it's not a case of a guy who can be off his game and still throw 98. Right. Tanner Scott can be off his game and walk two guys and still throw 98 and beat you. If Cesar Valdez is off his game and the changeup is not really hitting, he doesn't have that backup necessarily. You and I saw the game against the Red Sox where he, he did throw a couple of sinkers by Franchi Cordero in a 3 1 count. And we were so taken aback by that. But yeah, if the changeup's not working, ultimately, I think the book is going to be out that. He, this is a guy who throws sinkers at 85 and like two sliders a year. So there are going to be nights where it's, it's just not going to work. But, but I do compare it to a, a knuckleball pitcher. I think more often than not, it will work. I do. And I, I, I still like him in the back end. I, he never seemed rattled. Even when the changeup wasn't working against Boston, even in the games where, you know, he has had some trouble late. The Tampa Bay game last year is one that comes to mind where he blew a save. He still doesn't seem to be ever bothered by it. And I, I think there is something to be said for him being 36 and having been around every level of baseball forever. I, I know that some folks are, are worried that it's going to be a, a high wire act to have a guy who's just a change up thrower like that as the closer. It is not with much precedent, I would say in the game. Yeah. Trevor Hoffman threw a lot of change ups, but, but not like this. Yeah, there are going to be some some hairy, weird times, but there are also going to be some games where he throws nine pitches and makes guys look foolish at the changeup. I think he's still a valuable piece, and I think they should be comfortable with him when you look at the rest of the bullpen in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings. Tanner Scott has to be there. Dylan Tate has pitched pretty well so far, but it is still a bullpen of 
some long man, some rule five picks. Sean Armstrong still finding his stuff. So you're not quite as comfortable with him there. And then Hunter Harvey was going to be a back end guy. And maybe he'll be back in, in June with the oblique. So, you know, I think it's partly the makeup of the bullpen that I want to see Valdez there. But yeah, there are going to be some hairy times. But what the heck? Uh, I think he's done enough. And um, honestly, I just like watching him there because it's fun. You never know what kind of changeup you're going to see. I, it's the most interesting changeup in the world. I agree. And Kevin Brown, thank you so much for joining us for our Insider segment. We appreciate it. You are very welcome. Birdland experience an O's game with the convenience and privacy of your own suite. A variety of affordable single-game suites throughout the ballpark are available. Enjoy exclusive access to the game with climate-controlled interior seating. Brett, you always need that. A private restroom and comfortable outside seating. Visit Orioles.com slash suites for more information. Well, I do enjoy a private restroom, as George Costanza does as well. Uh, more than the temperature control. I won't, I won't find the key and, and lock it shut for you. We don't want any play now incidents on our hands. <laughs> I appreciate that. We're getting some fun different teams right now. Of course, we're going through the Mariners and the Rangers on the road. Jeff, we're doing that series together. And then I'm hopping over to TV for the Miami Marlins on the road and then the Oakland A's coming to town. So it's kind of nice to see some baseball outside the American League East. Well, we played all of our games last year against the AL East or the NL East. And you see a lot of really tough teams, and I guess it's a good measuring stick for Brandon Hyde and Mike Elias to see how this team performs against some of the best competition in baseball. And so it's really interesting to prepare for a team that you haven't seen before, like the Seattle Mariners, for instance, as we tape this. And you look at them, and they're playing in kind of the same neighborhood that you are right now. A lot of young players, uh, some guys that are trying to establish themselves in the starting rotation a bullpen that features a lot of question marks, a couple of pitchers that have thrown well in, in relief in the past, but a bunch who are trying to prove themselves and are jockeying for uh, more important roles throughout the, throughout the game. And I think we're going to see that too when we play the Rangers later on in the week. And before we say goodbye in uh, on this edition of Inside the Yard, I want to say happy birthday to our esteemed producer who's been with us since the beginning, Carol Wagner. Happy birthday. Hopefully we didn't, bother you too much or ruin your birthday i guess well i already ruined her birthday because i sang her happy birthday before we started taping this should we do so that now jeff we can let's do it i'm not gonna sing but you've got the pipes for it i'll cue you all right here in, you ready yeah in three two one happy birthday to you happy birthday to you happy birthday dear kara Happy birthday to you. We are like the extended family that she never wanted. So I hope she has a great birthday and uh, she does a tremendous job with this podcast. We can honestly say we wouldn't be here without her. So happy birthday, Kara. And that does it for this edition of Inside the Yard. We're back next week. Thank you to our guests. Thank you to Kara. Enjoy the baseball, everyone.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. 